0: going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 206. I recorded this a couple months ago. Uh, The lovely John Penny came over. John Penny is a filmmaker, director, award-winning screenwriter, producer. He and a partner uh, make delicious wine. Uh, Very interesting guy. uh, Teaches... Directing at the Los Angeles Film School. Uh, he's done films like The Kindred and Return of the Living Dead 3. He wrote a book called Truck Stop. Uh, the list of accolades for him is quite long and would take up way too much time to go over them. So, of course, I'll put links on the links page at HeyHumanPodcast.com. But I'm very excited for you to hear this conversation. John is a lovely man. Um, really, really enjoyed uh, our talk. And yeah, excited for you to hear it. Uh, in other news i signed up along with my roommate jen uh we chipped in and signed up for the two for one on MasterClass. oh my gosh it's great this is not an ad by the way because i don't do ads but holy moly it was it's great so far we've watched the steve martin one the rupaul one um the aaron sorkin one Whew, mind blown um and then uh, advertising one goodby and um oh what's the last name of the other guy oh it i know it's something steen uh is it silverstein goodby and silverstein i think that's right anyway fantastic 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 um wow there, there's so many shows on there that i want to watch i'm very excited hey human podcast is on instagram and facebook my personal Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter is Susan Ruthism. if you want to check those out. Uh, you can email me, susan at heyhumanpodcast.com. If you want to check out my art or music or anything like that, go to susanruth.com. And uh, rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Super duper helpful. I know it takes time. It's, it's probably taking like five minutes or something. And I know that... We've all got stuff going on, but if you can take a moment to review and rate the show, please do that. Uh, I think I said the email thing, susan at heyhumanpodcast.com. I mentioned the links page. Every episode gets its own uh, links section on the heyhumanpodcast.com. I curate it every week. It's got lots of stuff. This one is no different, so definitely go check that out. Uh, Things about John and his movies and uh books and information and all this stuff so okay that's it thanks for listening stay safe big love and here we go i have not read all the
1: shakespeare you actually either. keep your book
0: i love books <laughs> when i made my first record i sold most of my uh book collection uh, wow in order to pay for it
1: Jiminy. and yeah. then
0: it just took time look at that
1: i had this book wow you did? Yep.
0: I love quote books.
1: So funny. They make me very happy. I, I won't have Songwriters have lots of this.
0: Really? Sad. Yeah, it's I'm sad. surprised. You were raised by literary... No,
1: I know. I keep the, the family books in a little section.
0: Oh, okay. I'm not going to ever read them. Cheers.
1: Cheers. John
0: Penny. Yes. Ding. Welcome to Hey Human. Thanks for bringing over the wine. Yeah, my pleasure. Not just any wine. <laughs> <laughs> so my how, wine. See how we started this hey. already? We've already begun. You make wine.
1: I do. Uh, Realistic, actually my my, uh, brother-in-law is the winemaker. But I make it up in Carmel Valley. We make about two tons a year, which is about five barrels. But we don't really sell it. This is just for... For friends and family? Friends and family, and I have a lot of fans actually around the world. I know that sounds pretentious, but I have have fans in (laughs) Italy. Wine friends or
0: film friends? Fans.
1: Wine fans. Wine fans. Who actually have had this wine. I was embarrassed. I didn't think it would translate, but it did, which was great. So I have, uh, of course, I made a movie in in Thailand, and I met a lot of people in Asia, and they always come to L.A. and want wine. So a lot of fans, which makes it nice, because I give it away. And I give it to, I've done some um, uh, charity work where it's a group called Artists for Change, and um, we do sort of get togethers and then we auction wine and stuff. So, oh, that's yeah. Fun. What does uh, Artist for Change do? Artist for Change is, um, I'm actually on the board of a Advisors on on that organization, it's about human trafficking. Oh wow! And um, uh, Julia Verdon runs it. And Julia and I had done about five or six movies back in the nineties together, so we were very good friends. Do you know Julia?
0: When we that night uh, that Christmas party, you I met, met her. her. Lovely That's woman. correct yeah. with
1: Jason. That's absolutely right. Yeah.
0: I think we all danced on the yes, dance we did. We cut a
1: rug. Yeah. So Julia made a movie actually called. Um, want to get this right lost girls i think it's called yeah it was a short and then now it's a feature you saw that film
0: i did because i'd have um i had people on the podcast that are involved with stopping human trafficking in Mm. tennessee which is a huge gateway sadly atlanta Mm, and tennessee mm -hmm. georgia and tennessee um so, yeah, uh, so I watched that's a, a bunch world. of documentaries and movies about it, and yeah. I saw that one. Very intense. Yeah.
1: So this, she's finished the feature version of it, but that's part of what she's all about. And so she started this organization, Artists for Change, and we have these salons where we get together and auction things in sort of a, you know, a casual kind of afternoon. If you ever need a
0: painting donated, I am oh, happy really? to donate oh, a nice. painting Oh, nice, definitely, done. Yeah.
1: definitely. Everyone sort of pitches in like it's that. It's important. Yeah, no, and then uh, people like Elizabeth Hurley have come by and shown their support, and who, she's an f- old friend of Julia's. But um, it's great. It's um, and Houston, the actor Houston, was also there.
0: I don't uh, think I do. I know who that is. Yeah,
1: you know who it is. Okay, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say his first name is slipping my mind. But uh, anyway, John. That would be his father. So
0: who is the child? Oh, John Houston probably isn't alive anymore. No. Angelica is the daughter. That's right,
1: and this is the son.
0: Yes. Okay whose name also slips my mind. Yeah, it's
1: terrible. Angelica,
0: wow, what a beautiful woman. Yeah. Holy moly. I saw some pictures of her from way back, Mm -hmm. back in the, when she was dating, the beginning of dating Jack Nicholson era. I guess that, would that have been the 70s? Yeah,
1: something like that, yeah. She was a
0: stunner. Yeah. Anyway.
1: Anyway, uh, so, artists for change cool. Yes, I'm involved. It's a very small world, as you know. So yeah. once you you've been around here for a while, you start connecting. The the, the connections become shorter.
0: And we met at like, a Christmas party. That's correct. And when I met you, I thought, oh, I've known this person a very long time. That's you funny. know how that is when you meet people and yeah, yeah, yeah. it's interesting. It is interesting.
1: Yeah, I love old it. souls or something maybe something, something like that. Something. But uh, yeah, Artists for Change is great. So support it go out there and my wine you can bid on there at the uh, and
0: it's quite good yes it really is you give me a hard time because of one time (laughs) (laughs) but I do I do like it very much well that's
1: what this is a 2016 um and uh the one that's still a little young that needs to open up in the glass a bit more is the seventeen, which is Which I'll never you, live down. Which you pointed out perfectly, yes. Yeah. No, it's all good. I'm
0: an asshole.
1: No, no, no. <laughs> you asked. I'm very truthful. No, I found out, certainly found that out the yeah, hard I'm way. Very you know, I'm honest. kidding. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good no uh so yeah so that's the winemaking stuff we do that um, what, I mean,
0: but what you brought you into i know you said your brother well, my brother and, love, and but... i had
1: been making it since 1987 and okay. he actually had had um uh opened a winery he helped did the first year at a, a winery called stack stone in pasa robles and they got gold medals and really amazing stuff and i i said for years like god can I keep I kept borrowing the wine can I as a family member you're kind of well extended family member you're kind of always trying to get the wine finally in 2004 I think it was two thousand. Yeah, 2004, I said, listen, can I just buy in as a partner? And they said, yeah. And then we had to expand the production. So now it's, like I say, two tons a year, 120 cases is what we produce.
0: That does seem quite small. What would a normal winery is?
1: Well, there are, there are there, there, This these days, there's normal winery is, is kind of, there's not a normal winery. <laughs> there's okay. the big corporations. Uh-huh. And then there's a lot of these uh, cult wineries and smaller operations that are going on. And everything in between. So there is really, there are people doing cult wines that is that is smaller than what I'm doing. So it's the fact that we do the full-on winemaking. We're not doing it in a garage in, in, a, in a stainless steel tank. We're getting uh, 80% neutral oak and 20% new oak French, aging it for 18 months minimum. Which is really, really important to make the whole wine work. Uh, you, you just you can't shortcut that time because it gets some micro oxygenization. If I said that right, into the into the chemistry of the wine. So did you, did you know
0: a lot about wine before going into?
1: I this? I tried to I tried to uh, learn a lot about it. But what what sort of clicked in my mind because I'm a very visual person is going through the process of making it. I was able to see and taste where these different elements of wine actually um, come from.
0: Where do you get your grapes then?
1: We get our our grapes every year from uh, east end of Carmel Valley. It's a Roya Seco Appalachian. Oh, that's the
0: area that you get them from. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's not Mm -hmm. just where... That's is that where the winery is?
1: No, then? yeah, it's we're we're further west okay, in Carmel Valley, Kashawa technically, but it's Carmel Valley, and so we, we I have good friends uh, that have been providing growing wine since hundred for one hundred and fifty years. They've been make, doing grapes. They didn't start doing grapes, but they segued in, and um, we always get this row and this row every year from them. You know, and and they've been very good to us. So generally, we do a Syrah Grenache blend or in the case of the 17, a petite Syrah Grenache. The, the one I have today here, the 16, is a Syrah Grenache blend.
0: That's lovely.
1: No. The yeah. really I, I color really
0: is really beautiful. Yeah, it's
1: got some, got some darkness there.
0: That is the one thing of not having a visual podcast that people don't mm. get to see the interest intricacies yes. of visual you're gonna just thing.
1: have to go to video soon oh god <laughs> that sounds
0: like a nightmare i'm sure it's wonderful but it's yeah. i'm i'm a one woman show so mm. that's a lot of work yeah two
1: microphones though that's
0: impressive that's right <laughs> if one's good then two must be got to really be it's twice good. as good that's yeah. right where did you begin where, where were you growing
1: Up. Uh, I was born in Carmel. Oh, you were. Yeah, in the hospital when it used to be in the city limits. Um, They moved the hospital up to a place called Community Hospital Chomps, which is between Carmel. Chomps. Yeah. Community Hospital hospital. of Monterey Peninsula (laughs) Chomps is a short. So they moved the uh, the hospital after I was born out of Carmel, which was lower on. uh, It was on Highway One, and then it turned into a convalescent home. And I thought. Wow, that's going to be great because I can go back to the same yeah, building I once was born you were in. Born, you may return. And then, sadly, they, it's no longer a convalescent oh. home, so I missed that window, oh, well. um, <laughs> maybe for good. Um, but anyway, so yeah, born in Carmel, um, grew up there from I don't know till I was about five or so, and then my parents split apart, and. Um,
0: and you come from famous
1: livestock, right? Um, well, you know, <laughs> of course they were famous. Yeah, right. Uh, in, 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 you know, it's, it's in that circle you think that, that and then you get out. Side of this literary circle, and people don't know who writes what science fiction book, and they don't know, especially science fiction. So that's a really particular. Text. Yeah, and it's kind of like in that bubble, it seems like, oh my God, everyone must know this person, and then you step out, and it's it, there's a big world out there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, within the field of science fiction, uh, my stepfather, who's my mother, married. My my biological mother married was a guy named Ward Moore, and he was friends with Harlan Ellison and and Ray Bradbury. They were to, they lived together in Topanga briefly, and um, uh, my mother ended up marrying him, and so my mother was a novelist. She's she was a journalist. My original, my biological father in in journalism writing in newspapers, and um, then she went off to be a fiction writer and uh, thought that the best way of doing that would be to sort of put herself uh, in alignment with, with somebody in that field, I guess. I don't know. When I'm not say, casting judgment sure, here. Sure, sure. But guess. when you said go
0: off with, did they, were you then with your dad, your brother, No,
1: your they dad? Uh, no, they took us. My, my <laughs> mother said, hey, listen, we're going on an adventure. Come get in the car. And so we got in the car and we drove across town and we didn't know what was going on and i was the youngest i was like five years old so we're playing pl- i don't know what's happening in c- in cinematic terms we cut to my father coming home from work right opens the door everybody's gone
0: holy shit so it was and the we, way in the night kind of thing but during the yeah, day
1: during the day had no <laughs> idea where we were had no idea what happened to us and um. He's desperate, going out of his mind, and would get phone calls that were threatening to him. If you try finding him, you know, blah blah blah.
0: So he would. Your biological father would get phone calls from
1: the stuff. We father? don't know who it was, who was doing it. <gasps> Saying
0: if you so try, we leave the him kids.
1: alone. Leave him alone. You know. Anyway, the whole. This is just the beginning. That is you don't want to hear no, this whole I do. story, I'm but so into it. Let's do it. So, um, so eventually, he finds out where we are, and and uh, starts the court. Um, you know mechanisms rolling and then immediately again in the middle of the night we take off again <laughs> this time with Ward my mo- my biological mother and my two sisters and we end up down in Redondo Beach at Ward's wife's house with his children. <laughs> what year is that this? this is 19 I want to say 60... Five ish.
0: Now was Ward and uh, did he and his wife have an open relationship, or was I it don't set? know what was going. Because you were five. Yeah.
1: yeah. So we all lived together in Redondo Beach, and with your
0: mother, your siblings, Ward and his
1: wife. That's correct, and his and his children.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah.
1: And so we were there, and then once again, my father found out where we were, and would show up as he's waiting to get the proper legal stuff together he would show up like on Christmas first well this was a Jewish family I went into and so there was no we were used to we were just waspy kids you know and so now we're in this very ethnic group area which was fantastic and I learned a lot and appreciate Um, But he would show up on Christmas morning and out of the back of his car would hand us gifts and then he'd go away. Finally, once he had found out where we were.
0: Sounds like a Robin Williams movie. It's so good. True story.
1: Wow. Um, Finally, and I'll answer the question why I haven't written this as a screenplay. Yes. Afterward. Yes. Uh, But anyway, uh, finally, once he knew where we were, again, middle of the night, we take off once again. Now we're in a car driving across country and we end up in a town called Osceola Arkansas yeah <laughs> on the Mississippi River and we spent months there and it was a very strange chapter in my life I was a little kid.
0: Was it with Ward and his wife as well?
1: No his wife was gone. They ended up getting married so I guess they divorced mm-hmm. married moved on Mm -hmm. so now we're on the banks of the mississippi in this little town i Mm -hmm. never had shoes the entire time i was there i love that detail because people somehow think i'm making this mark twain shit up but absolutely true and you know of course i would it was it was a very difficult time uh, because you're dealing with a whole different culture, little kids who were smoking at five, and I would come home and say, "Hey, they're rolling their own cigar. Can I smoke too?" <laughs> you know, it's like really crazy. And, and your older siblings? They went co- to the local school, but I wasn't in school. I was I I didn't. I just hung so out just all day, around? wandered around. The Mississippi flooded once. We had people going up and down the street in canoes because you couldn't drive. I mean, it was a weird. It was a whole new world out there. And uh, we became friends with um, these people down the street. Had, they were about our age. And uh, one day they said, uh, uh, oh, hey, you guys want to come down and play? And we said, sure. So we all go down to, to play. We open the door. And there's this, my father is standing there with these two guys in black suits on either side of him. I'm a very visual person, and I always remember this and my father got on his knees and opened his arms, and there was some sort of pull to him that I didn't, couldn't say to you. You know, when you're a kid, that's a long time to be away from a parent. I knew who he was. I had no doubts about it. Ran to him. Uh, He hugged us, and one of my sisters got afraid, and I'm not going to say which one, but ran back to warn them so they go oh my god he's got us and they go to the sheriff and the sheriff of the town says here's the the paperwork they are legally being taken from you and so they were taking my, my father's taking us back yeah so my other sister was collected we had like i say i was wearing basically nothing we get we go we go to a super like a mall he buys us you know this stuff we get on a plane i'd never been on a plane before we fly back i'm saying what is this weird world i'm in right now because i was just on the banks of the mississippi with nothing and then we ended up ta- he took us back to carmel back to the monterey peninsula um and that's when did you ever hear of a movie called Kramer versus Kramer? Oh uh, yes, yeah.
0: I've seen the movie. It's fantastic. Yeah, it won
1: like a million Oscars. Yeah. And... Well, ours was the story as if you had two parents who who said no. We want to drag the kids through that. We're going to. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to go to court and we're going to fight for custody, and my mother lost, which says a lot about. Um, yeah,
0: because generally women didn't in that era. Children, yeah, yeah, it was
1: very, very um, unusual. Um, so for that to actually happen was was pretty heavy at that time. So my father got custody of us, and we would have to visit every couple weeks. And then in the summer, I had to spend a summer with them with the mama. Yeah, and Ward, everyone in Greenwich Village, because they moved to New York, because that's where the literary scene was. And she became an editor of a movie, uh, a, a, movie a, a magazine called Executive Housekeeper, of course, because Empowered to Women. And she wrote a ton of stuff. In all fairness to her, all this hell she caused probably did well for her creatively. And when I asked her later about all this, she said, oh, just think of everything you'll be able to write about. And so I thought, well, thanks, classic. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Yeah. (laughs) So she ends up doing very well in her field and ends up uh, publishing a book called uh, Mock Orange by Scribner's. And she entered that world and, and did quite well. Uh, as a writer would do. I mean, not like a big name that you would hear anybody on the street, but she did fine. She did a lot of short stories and novels and so forth, one of which Ray Bradbury did an introduction for. So he was, a, like I say, an old family friend and a would come up Ray and visit Bradbury. us. Um, and um, yeah, so so my father basically raised us until my uh, glorious stepmother came into the picture and... and uh,
0: Your hot stem. Yeah.
1: Oh, stop. (laughs) No, she was much younger than my father. Much younger and very pretty, beautiful, beautiful woman. How much older than you? Um, she was. Let's see. God, that's a good question. I see her all the time. She's now. Yeah.
0: Oh wait, your father's passed.
1: Yeah, my father's passed, but she's remarried. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Twenty years, maybe. I don't know. Not a lot. Not a lot. No. I'm trying to. I, I get bad with with ages. Anyway, so she's great. She's been very supportive along the way, and uh, you know, that's my life. She basically raised me.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: Yeah. So that's my life.
0: Did you, as an adult, question either parent about? their choices, other than your mother offhandedly saying you'll have stuff to write about?
1: Well, that's interesting, because the, the, um, yeah, there was a period of time when I actually wanted to find out what was going on. And what I found out is that everyone has to create a world in which they're the protagonist. I'm putting it totally in literary terms, which fits the, the parties involved, I guess. But, and, and, and because of that, the the past somehow morphs a little bit right you bend it it's not it's a little bit malleable when mm-hmm. it comes to making your choices well, memories are period good. right yeah so so you know for her um I'm sure she did everything she thought was right I tried to pin her down later she she did sort of disown me I think I may have told you this crazy <laughs> story she at one point in my life she wrote me a, le- a letter a note that says basically I'm not her son I know you've You've, you've got a different life going on. And I thought, what? I don't know what was motivating this letter to write to me. But prior to that, we ended up writing some short stories together. They were published. So I was 16 years old when the first short story I wrote was published in the magazine of Fantasy Science Fiction, which was a pretty prestigious That's magazine. a big deal. Yeah, yeah. 1975, I was 16 years old. And then we run it, wrote another story together that... Um, that won the Adelphi Academy Award, Academy, Adelphi Academy Literary Award Mm. in in New York, um, which was very cool. So wrote two short stories with her, didn't write anything else. I think we wrote one more story that didn't get any traction, but I was always like a fountain of crazy ideas. People call me the shotgun when it comes to just coming up with Mm. idea after idea after idea. And I was always filled with them but I never knew how to execute anything. you know I would just come up with great ideas well I thought they were great <laughs> ideas and and somehow that was a weird uh, uh, partnership that worked on a couple stories, a couple three stories. Um, so I, I feel that you know it's always a, a mixed blessing I guess. on one hand it was not the conventional way to grow up <laughs> to say the least and on the other hand um, I don't know where where I would be if I wasn't. You know, well, hadn't had some of that in my life. I don't know.
0: I'm curious. What? How do you think it would have been for you had you been raised up by your mom instead of your dad? If it, if the tables had turned and she had.
1: Well, that's a really interesting question. She kind of, I, I, I think that for her, she never wanted to be a mother. That I gotta take her side for a second. My uh, father was a very traditional guy you know you marry you have kids blah 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 you stay home you take care of the kids i'm going to keep working in the newspaper you know and for a woman at that point that's just, at that point in time it was just wasn't she was always very a for you know ahead of her time mentally i guess with with that kind of stuff and emotionally um so i i look at it from her point of view and i get it i understand what she was up against and i understand um what you will do to realize your passion, your creative drive. I know that because, I believe me, my whole life was shaped by this. There was nothing else I was ever going to do. And so every choice I ever made didn't matter. It was all very clear to me what I needed to do. And sometimes, obviously, I wasn't married and then had that whole thing. But, you know, you make choices in your life and you just creatively that was very important to her to become that to follow that dream Um, I took a fair amount of uh, you know therapy later Um, and uh, one of the things that was interesting was to find out to talk to your mother at some point and find out what her parents were like Hmm. and she was the last one born they didn't it was an accident they didn't want her and she desperately they basically didn't pay attention to her so when you're in a situation like that you have to become very self-reliant emotionally Um, and I also got a lot of that when I was going through the stuff that I went through I also had to turn inward and and find comfort and happiness within by yourself because you can't you stop relying on other people Hmm. now that could be looked at as a negative or it could be looked at hey that's what you got to do to to keep going. Survival. Yeah, and so I look at it from that point of view. Sure, I mean, what am I going to do? I, I I tried to get her to open up once, and it was just she uh, started re- r- rattling off the same stuff that I knew wasn't true, and so I just said, you know what? That's fine. I she can't see what I see, so.
0: How many siblings?
1: Two. Two sisters. Two sisters. I had a half sister from the from ward who passed away. Oh. Yeah. Two. Sadly. Yeah. She had a aneurysm or something. and oh,
0: you know, dear. It was
1: very sad, yeah. And she had two kids. But this all started because you said, what if I had stayed with my mother?
0: Sure.
1: Um, and my two nephews did. And it was a tough, you know, they had a very stormy beginning as well Wait, with your my nephews. half-sister. Oh, interesting. He was just here. Sunday night playing at um, Your nephew? Herb Alpert's club oh. up on, uh, Mo- uh, on uh, Be- Beverly Glen. Have you been up there?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Amazing place. Okay. It is so cool. Oh wait For a minute. For jazz.
0: Yes I have been there. Vibrato. I, I, I think that's where my friend, uh, my best friend Ellen yeah? loves jazz and when she came to visit I think that's where we went. That would be She the place. Was, right now she's going. You're an idiot. She's like, I don't remember the name. Remember the name. <laughs> well, the place is very... called
1: Vibrato. I think and, that's where we went, and, and it's very cool. It's a big very... dinner club. Yep. yeah, that's, that's where we went. That's Vibrato. Yeah. So that's I'm, very of, I'm very proud. I'm very proud of of Skyler, my nephew, because yeah. he is still lives on the Monterey Peninsula, but gets these gigs because he's so well known.
0: Fantastic. She being probably knows really, him. Really good. What's his last name? Uh,
1: Campbell. Skyler Campbell. He was just playing him. on on. Sunday night, like I say. Grammy
0: night. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe not so well known. I don't... But anyway, so what's, I'm proud of two
0: sisters... I... My childhood was fascinating, to say the least, and I often say that my brothers were raised by different parents than I was raised by. Do you feel that's true about your sisters? that's
1: interesting. Yeah, I was the youngest, and my sisters were older. Yeah, and so they probably, Um,
0: their experience of your parents was...
1: Very much so. So during the the, um, trial, when we were over the custody battle, my older sister got up in front, we took the stand.
0: Whoa.
1: Yeah. Heavy heavy stuff, yeah. And showed photographs she had taken without people knowing, and yeah, it was pretty, pretty tough. So I think that of the three, listen, I'm sure we're all screwed up. Yeah, I'm just saying, was, of the three of us, <laughs> <totally>. <laughs> I think that it was very difficult on my oldest sister.
0: Because and she I, was old enough to understand
1: what was going she on. She was right in the middle of it sure. all. Sure. And she was put on the stand. Photographs of... Uh, of how things, no it's just, it was just how everything was, was yeah going it was down. the crazy artist's pad right yeah you know with the god knows what Trials was going and on alcohol at that place and naked people, everything probably. yeah sure. all that
0: stuff science fiction writers man they get down hey, man. I, I remember going to some with my parents because my mother her family was very tied into the sci-fi world as we've you and i've talked yeah. about but so we would go to these parties and they're
1: they're out there. Yeah. And
0: I was, you know, seven, eight years old, wandering around yeah. these
1: crazy... I remember <laughs> one time we went camping with my mother up to Oregon, I think it was, and uh, we just wandered out there, and everyone's naked, everyone's nude, and we're, we're on the edge of the river, of the edge of uh, Rogue River, and I'm like, huh, I this is this normal I, I don't know. You know so I just got in an inner tube and took off down the river so you know but it was a different era as my mother liked to say mm. it was a different time um, but yeah no it's um I forget what the question was but if uh,
0: being me. raised by different oh, parents, yeah. different parents. I, I just
1: think that it would have been I would not I, I don't think I would have had the drive mm-hmm. that I have because my stepmother was a very driven person uh, in business
0: and she pushed you
1: uh, yeah
0: were you close to your dad then? And
1: extremely close. When my father died, it was probably the worst moment I've lived through at this point in my life. Mm. Um, Sorry about that. Yeah, it was like I never knew, you know. And then it was like this massive sledgehammer smashing me through my chest. I couldn't breathe, and uh, I was.
0: Did he pass of cancer? He had.
1: It was complicated because when I was in, in, in when I was about ten years old, he had a aorta problem and he went to Stanford to a guy named Dr. Shumway and they put a new valve in him and he had three of those during his life it was to extend his life and so that was driving my stepmother like I graduated high school in three years I went right on to the community college and then down to UCLA when I was 18 so I was pushed (laughs) Because that she was afraid that you know he wouldn't be around long, so you've got to. However, that translated in her head, she pushed, 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 mm-hmm. and so I wouldn't have that drive if it wasn't for her. And I, you need it in this business, you need it a lot, you know. So I give her a lot of credit for that.
0: Did you study film then?
1: I was an English major, and Yay. I but I but I took every critical studies, so I studied a lot of film. Even though I came in with a, out with an English degree, I, I took every critical studies class I could take and used it to for the English major.
0: Had you already set a sight on filmmaking? Or Absolutely. Was, oh. I did when
1: I was about 10 years old. No, maybe about 10. I decided I flipped the switch that I was going to make movies because in Carmel, I grew up around the business a little bit. Um, The Bing Crosby Pro-Am, which was a golf tournament, would come to town every year. So I'd see all my favorite actors and everything. And Clint Eastwood was a local. And so I grew up on the peninsula and became obsessed. And my father would bring me everything from the newspaper home. DGA magazines that they would send, you know, publications. And they would send television all this fun stuff so I was always constantly reading and reading and I had a an old DGA magazine that was Clint Eastwood talking about directing a movie of his and I w- w- read it so many times like the pages were falling out and then he came to town and he shot a movie called Iger Sanction and I think 19 maybe 75 ish something like that and I ditched school and followed the movie around all over Carmel and the peninsula and uh sort of Walk, got my way onto a set in a small room and watched Eastwood direct a scene and this was way pre 9-11 of course no security, mm-hmm. there's no security and the crew kind of knew oh this is that local kid who's been following us, no one stopped me and so I just walked right in the set and watched him direct a scene and uh it was just it it turned a light bulb on i said this um, this is what i'm going to do so i started doing a lot of short films and won some festivals there local ones and um always knew that was what i was going to do at that point so i said well i'm going to now have to go to ucla film school and i applied couldn't get in grades all that so i just said i'm going to go down i'll be an english major um and um had a great time. Met a lot of great film students there that I'm still in touch with today.
0: What was your first major film?
1: Uh, After graduating? Mm -hmm. The first thing I did was I started... When I was in the film school you know you as a crew you're like you do everything right well I, I really like the idea of lighting stuff because it's very visual and you know and then they said okay you can work on the lighting crew and I tried and then the first thing I did was smash a light and, and he said hey have you ever thought about editing so I was moved to the editing room and which was fun and I did sound effects on a movie called pranks the dorm that dripped blood and it was shot while we were at UCLA and prior to that, I had gone off to do a job in, in the South Pacific as a sound man and a, a camera assistant. But that was just a you know, an open and closed job. This one began the actual feature journey. And we did this movie and it was picked up and it was distributed across the country. And I said, wow, this is great. And so then we did another movie together. It was a group of us. Um, and we did um, a movie called The Power which um, also, I have a story credit on that. So that's my first story credit. It was 19, in the early 80s. Maybe. Meaning
0: then you helped develop the story itself. Yeah, we
1: all hashed out the story and then somebody else wrote the actual dialogue and stuff in the screenplay version. So um, that was very exciting. And I, I um, went to, that got distributed all over the country as well. And I went to the, I'll never forget, Um, because I do teach at the LA Film School now and I always say I'm going to teach you from people's mistakes so I always include this one (laughs) when I grew up my father and mother everyone would say story is character and character is story right so I couldn't figure it was like wipe wash on wash off or whatever that is wax on wax off I didn't even know what that meant I had no idea So, I just knew it was a thing I was supposed to know what that meant. And then I was watching this movie, The Power, and people started booing and hissing and walking out of the theater. And I go, holy crap, it's because the protagonist isn't driving the story. Things are happening to her that she doesn't even believe and the audience is way ahead of her because she wasn't driving the story the story is character and character is story so every choice that character makes will push the story in any given direction and it was like out of that big failure i said holy crap never again so then we got together and my first screenplay credit with this group was called the kindred and we worked um, ultimately then we made the movie i was the screenwriter and a, a co-editor. I've of actually the piece. seen that movie. Oh, well, there you Isn't go. That with funny? Rubber creatures and all that.
0: There was a, it was like a tentacle book. Yeah yeah, right? yeah, yeah.
1: So we um, that <laughs> one went all over the country as well, um, and um, the theatrical. Uh, but it was really interesting because I was an editor and a writer on a movie, which is a highly unusual combination. But what it meant was I could see what I had intended, what we had intended to be. And then I see the actual footage coming out the other side and I say, wait a minute, why didn't that idea get here? And you could say, well, that's not really filmable. The idea wasn't either something I could see or hear, so it didn't translate into, you know, when you're shooting a movie, it it strips so much away creatively that you really have to rely on anything you can see or hear. And so that was a big lesson for me. I said, wow. It, it informed how I write a, a screenplay. It really was a, a, a great example. A couple of fun things about that movie was that I got to work with... Um, um, oh my God, my mind is going kind to of blank now. The guy who wrote Psycho. Um, mm. Oh, Joseph... Um, Joseph, I can't remember his last you name. Can Google it. We'll look it up. Um, anyway, um, he was amazing.
0: I should and know he, the
1: answer to that because I yeah, love horror movies. So yeah, it's but amazing. he, yeah, it's Stefano, Joseph oh, Stefano. Is. Okay. Sorry, it's no. the wine talking. Sure. No, um, Joseph Stefano uh, came on to do a, a rewrite of all of the script that we had done. And he was so great because he would come visit and he came in the editing rooms and he was, room. he was a much, much, much older guy, but for him to see that footage he was like a little kid again and I'm saying my god when I'm his age I want to be that excited about movies and taking something you've written and seeing it realized you know so that was really cool and then plus it was really weird how do you rectify the fact that I've co-written a movie with Joe Stefano and I'm just some kid who's like barely 20 years old (laughs) you know what I mean it was kind of odd in that regard he felt a little like you didn't really belong at the table kind of anyway so i finished that movie and then i stopped editing um and i went on to um write and write and write and write and sold a movie to warner brothers and we had this my friend sam and john were connected to it as directors and uh, i thought well this is great because now i'm in the studio system and for about a year and a half they paid us incredibly well uh but there's never a chance they're going to make the movie ever not a chance do ever, do? I've heard because it, it's called development hell right yeah. so then it would go like oh they, and then I sold a movie to Orion pictures and a bunch of st- so I was in that system for a while and I got more and more discouraged because they weren't making the movies they have these big massive budgets to develop stuff but it never actually gets into production I'm not blaming him. It's just the, I would do the same no, thing. No, i a lot. Yeah, sure. you've got to grow a lot of stuff and pick the one that, mm-hmm. that works for the solves the problem you're mm-hmm. trying to solve. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so that was very frustrating at a certain point. Then I get a call uh, one afternoon. Now, one of the movies that I had been an assistant editor on was Return of the Living Dead which was the Dan O'Bannon one with the uh, Quigley dancing naked on the tombstone. I don't know, it's, it's seared into a lot of horror fans' minds. Uh, uh, anyway, I hear a lot about it. But um, So she, so so he, I, I, I had been an assistant editor on the first movie, and I thought that Dan O'Bannon, who, who wrote and directed that, brought a lot of really new and unusual things to the zombie genre. So I'm at home minding my own business, writing a spec thing my agent calls and says hey they they want to do part three of return of the living dead do you want to go in and pitch something i said absolutely now in my warped idea because i had been an assistant editor suddenly of course i i deserved to write this script right like somehow i was entitled that was totally misguided i went in pitched they picked my idea Um, I met Brian Usna, who's now a partner of mine in a company called Dark Arts Entertainment. Um, But we got along really well. We made the movie. I had the Time of my life it was so much fun they didn't care about what we were doing they left us alone we just went off and had a blast with this movie and it turned out just what we had hoped it would be and um of all the movies i've been involved in people constantly come up to me about that particular movie i met a guy who has the lead character tattooed on his back i mean it really made an impression and and still does, Return of the Living Dead 3. Um, But after that, I I, um, was a full-time writer. I I wrote a movie for Avi Lerner, who has, um, I forget the name which company has, New Image Films or something. He did all those expendable movies. It was an action movie, time travel action movie. And then I started doing a bunch of HBO premiere movies in the 90s. And um, many, many of them. that's that whole part in my IMDb where he's like, I, I didn't know he was in that movie. Who's, what movie is that? I didn't. So we usually, you know, would pull out name brand actors and put them in these action-packed movies for, for HBO. And I went around the world doing that. So I was into a lot of um, international co-production stuff. Excuse me. <laughs> Hydration. Mm. And um, had a lot of fun. That's where I met Julia Verdon. She did the first one with Avi. She produced that. And um, then time came when uh, my manager said, well, you know, why don't you, you should direct, John. I said, yeah, man, I can screw up my script as good as the next guy. Mm -hmm. Because being a producer on these movies, it's not like you understand after a while what makes these changes, what happens. Let alone from a screenplay to the screen.
0: Explain for listeners the difference really between a producer and a director because I don't know that we ah, all necessarily know right.
1: what it um, is. A, a director ultimately is the one on the set calling the shots. He, during production, he or she is the one who is deciding how to tell the story. Deciding you know, which performance they want to tell the story. So it's really, they're, they're calling most of the shots and they're more of the, in the Film form, they they really, depending on their background, you know what their emphasis is. They are they're going to really bring all the, the everything from the script to for, to the casting to the you know hair and makeup, and they're going to make it all pull it all together and make sure everything in front of that camera is telling the story the way they envisioned it. Right, um, a producer has a wider range of definitions they can be very I, the producing I did was very creative based in other words I would be attached to the scripts of mine before I sold them as a as a producer and what that enabled me to do was to just say creatively involved to ke- keep that uh, up
0: meaning if you're running the this- script the screenplay, and they want that screenplay that they have to then include you in the production side.
1: Exactly, yeah. in the got producing it. side. Yeah. Which I don't. I only got that because I didn't. I had really, really good um, director whisperer uh, abilities, where, like, I could. I never threatened a director. I never. I always knew where I belonged in the hierarchy because I'd been working on movies, so I knew that the writer. And in fact, it got a little awkward a couple times when Portia de Rossi, who was this. Um, actress at the time she's now with Ellen DeGeneres would ask came out of her trailer hey John can I talk to you about this scene and I was like really nervous like I knew you're not supposed to do that (laughs) but usually the direct the writer isn't wandering around as a producer on the film so that was that was an awkward one which Um, film was that that was called perfect assassins I think here and then internationally it was called a breed apart and it was with um uh, who was that with? I forget. Oh, I'm trying to remember. Anyway.
0: Is that common? They change the title of the film? Yes yes, internationally? yes. yes. Definitely. Why is that?
1: Um, depends on what, there could have been a movie in that country that was the same title. There could have been uh, something that they don't think connects, um, you know, culturally with people. So they'll, they'll change it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I did that movie and, um, uh, then uh, same thing happened when I was in, um, uh, Budapest uh, with a movie with Natasha Macalone and William Hurt and uh, RoboCop uh, Peter Weller and um, the director was very nice guy Tony Hickox uh, totally was fine he said John no, no, you you can hang out don't, don't don't worry about it if they have a question for you John go for it I said okay cool so I was in Natasha Macalone's I don't know if you know who she is. She's a beautiful, beautiful woman. And we were talking script stuff. And I come out of there, and then I hear, "Oh, William Hurt wants to see you now." It's like then it was like I don't know if it was uncomfortable. Should I not? And so then I would go to William and talk stuff like that. Um, uh, I had already heard from from uh, Peter Weller. He had called me. I
0: uh, love Peter Weller.
1: Yeah, he's a, he's a really talented guy. All of them. I've had the I mean, yeah, good fortune to work with so Some many talented actors. Uh,
0: yeah, you are very yeah lucky.
1: between uh, Steiger and Hertz and uh, who I've worked with twice and um, God, uh, you know uh, the guy from uh, I can't remember his name anyway uh, a lot of Academy Award actors and actors that are just really great and and what I think was my my trick for lack of a better word. Um, was that I always wrote um, movies during that period of time with two good leads right because in budgets like that you can get two actors of this certain value then suddenly it's like having an a-list actor not that none of my actors they were always a-list but you follow what I'm saying they have this hierarchy thing but uh so I was that was sort of what I did I wrote two handers or whatever you want to call them where there were two really strong good uh characters that had good arcs that it was clear what they wanted it was clear what their struggle was and this always drew in really really good good actors so i was always proud of that
0: were you drawn to horror because you think your family's uh, legacy, or do you think... Well, you, you talk about Ray Bradbury being a mentor, really, and that's, first yeah. thing, that's astounding.
1: Yeah. I mean, what? If, for
0: those of you listening, if you've never read Ray Bradbury, uh, definitely in my top ten writers of all time. Oh, God,
1: yes. No, he's a giant in the field. No, but I that... mean,
0: regardless of genre, I'm saying one oh, of my yeah. top ten of all time.
1: Yeah, for sure. No, that was just, that was really cool... Um, she wrote a letter to Ray or called him up. Your mom? Yeah, and said, hey, my son's moving down to L.A. Can you take him out, you know, and, and give him words of advice, whatever? And he said yes, and I, she sent me a letter, and I called him, and I went into Beverly Hills, and we had this big, long lunch where he talked to me, and he said, so what do you want to do, John? I said, well, I want to write Movies. Now, I'm coming from a family of novelists and short story writers, so it was a little bit intimidating. I didn't see myself as, a, as that kind of writer at all. I just wanted to do movies and TV, which in that crowd was sort of not looked upon very highly. You know, they were all about books and short stories and TV and, and movies were just second rate
0: until he saw the check for it the Martian
1: Chronicles, could <laughs> <Exactly>. bring him. <laughs> well, no. This is what my, my family message was. Oh, your was. family
0: message. Yeah, I was like, yeah, wow,
1: yeah. It's yeah. said that. No, yeah. no, 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 no. The opposite. <laughs> yeah. So uh, no, no, no. That. So your was... family was saying, "Don't sell out." Well, no, God, no. They weren't encouraging me to be a writer on any sh- plane at all. They were too self-absorbed. But my feeling... My do you feeling, want to borrow this book right here? Oh, my God. Children, Children of the Self-Absorbed. <laughs> oh, my God. It's hilarious. We're That's in my crazy. library right now. I know. <laughs> That's really crazy. Um, but anyway, no, I'm just talking about my, my message in my head. Yeah. And so Ray said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I'm going to do movies. And he says, well, if you want to be a writer, don't write movies. Because there's too much between you and the audience start writing short stories do this now I'm like oh god I guess oh my god Ray Badbury's telling me not to I don't know so I ended up kind of continuing to write but also um, editing more and then 10 years later to the to the day that I had had this conversation he was shooting a movie on a stage and I was shooting a movie I had written and produced on another stage and the AD comes up and says hey John you know Ray Bradbury's down there oh my god I go back down and say hey Ray we talk he tells me the same stories that he told me about my stepfather you know he had seen my mother a lot in the back and forth between coming up to Monterey where they lived and back down here we talked a lot about all that nonsense and basically it was the same story over again Um, and uh, finally I couldn't help it I said well listen you know you told me something (laughs) 10 years ago you said if I wanted to be a writer don't write movies and he says yeah John but it's such a relevant art form isn't it why wouldn't you and I'm like wait a minute 10 years I had this message in my head and and what I realize is when people ask me what should I do to become a writer in film or whatever it is I have to preface it with what worked for me is going to be different for you this is what I did and what Ray did was write short stories and then it led him into film so then it was like okay wow big life lesson um but yeah no he was always very very cool and when i was on strike with the writers guild i got pictures of him on the picket line which was really fun um and i still cherish those but i did find later i was clearing out some old boxes and with my daughter and i found she says what is this and it's the letter from ray bradbury um to my mother and it says on it (laughs) No kidding. He, you know, this is pre-computer, so he scratched stuff out and wrote in hand and then signed it and it was all very cool. And it said, yeah, tell the Honorable Young John Penny to come down, absolutely, I'll take him out and I'll fill him with the worst advice I can possibly think of. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm thinking whoa was that on purpose i don't know it was just very funny <laughs> See what to your find. Was. I, I know it was just so bizarre so of course i could say huh did he give me bad advice no of course not but um it, it was it was really funny to find that old letter wow. uh, from him yeah so that was a situation um with me toward the end of my Writing and producing career in the beginning of the directing career was when I was doing this movie, um, and uh, afterward, you know, they, my I was saying, well, with my manager, you know, listen, I can screw up this movie just as good as the next guy, and so I went out on a. <laughs> is this answering any questions? Yes, all at of okay. them. We're, um, doing, we're
0: doing great. I'm
1: just wandering on I through love my, it. it's my, wonderful. my my professional side, um, and so then I ended up going out on a on a. A pitch, right, where you go, you tell your story, and um, you, you, the guy said, well, here's my idea that I want you to write, and he pitched me the idea, and I said, huh, I didn't respond to it creatively. I didn't quite feel it was in right for me, And but we talked and talked and talked, and we got along so well. He says, well, John, do you have any ideas? And I said, I had just been driving to las vegas and i saw the sign Zizix road and, oh there's an and i came up with this treatment by the way Zizix road is that how you pronounce it or Zizik's road Zizix or Because so i took a I,
0: when i drove past that sign i took a picture of it and i said what happens when the dot shows up drunk to work and they have to name that street
1: because exactly. it's zzy y, Z-Z-Y-X. what the i changed it for my movie I took the second Z out because the Zizix bug, or the Zizix bug, is a bug that can change its form. Oh. So if you've seen the movie, that will be a a hint into it. I see. Yeah. So yeah. you're driving along. So I'm driving along. I come up with this idea. And anyway, so I had come up with this thing just like a couple of days before, this story I thought was really cool. And I told him that idea. And he said, well, let's do that movie. And I said, okay, but I got to direct it. this pause went on, right? So I'm like, oh, crap. Very awkward moment. And then in my mind, it was like 30 seconds. It was probably like two seconds. And he goes, okay, you can direct it. So I directed it. And we had, um, uh, what's her name? Um, Catherine. Yeah, she came in later. We originally had a, a really good actress, Thora Birch. Do you oh, know yeah, her? yeah, of course. Thora Birch was, was, was involved um, for quite a while, actually, and got us up and running into pre-production. And her father... Uh, who was an adult film actor pre- in previous life uh, was his, her manager, and um, he just felt very nervous that she was going into a movie without my be me being first time director, and the her the guy opposite her was also not a known name at the time, and so she loved the project. We met a number of times, and finally she said, "I just I, I'm not going to do it." I think her her agent stepped in the one, the one who told toby hooper not to do spider-man or something anyway i'm just i have my vendetta list i have to <laughs> anyway so thora backed out and then we constantly were hearing about um katherine heigl and at this time this is before she had done i think she did the pilot for gray's anatomy right after our movie and uh so i'm like who is this person who really she, aggressively pursuing the part loved the script wanted to do it um, but we opened. We had open casting because we were desperate, and we're in heavy pre-production. We're trying to get started, and I um, w- saw every young ingenue in Hollywood over a period of time. And Valerie McCaffrey, the casting director, amazing woman. She did Hard Candy and uh, Babe, the movie Babe. So she she brought in all these um actresses and i got to see them all and it was a a very sexualized role for a young woman and um so this young young blonde i have to say almost girl comes in and i felt very uncomfortable and um uh she leaves i said yes but she's too young she's okay but mark my words that young woman will be huge next thing i know i'm watching abba's movie uh the first one. Do you remember that one?
0: Hmm.
1: Oh, the ABBA movie. I never saw it. Mural Meryl Streep? I yeah. don't know. Oh, and the, the l- Mamma Mia. Yeah, Mamma Mia. And the lead actress was this young blonde girl that is now like now my name my mind escaping her name but she's uh did huge and i realized that casting directors can see see what's coming up yeah. yeah they really know <laughs> yeah uh, so anyway so we ended up with Catherine heigl she and came instead in, of
0: the mamma mia actress yeah yeah because she was
1: too young yeah, yeah. um uh,
0: well, but, it's, I mean, this is a lot about you too. That you were like, "Oh, this movie has sexual undertones or overtones, for that matter," and no, there it were no tones.
1: Have... It was straight it was up sexual. Yeah. <laughs> but with
0: that they, you found that inappropriate.
1: Inter- well, it, it's about it's about listening to what the you have an instrument playing a part in front of you, and if that instrument doesn't play that, doesn't work for that part, it's just it's nothing wrong with that instrument. It's just not right for this part. And her vehicle or instrument was too young Mm. for the words she was saying and you know i don't know maybe it was just me maybe it wasn't i don't know it just i just couldn't see it It yeah it was gonna be too much of a stretch knowing i already had the guy opposite her it would have been too old yeah (laughs) because it's like you're you're passing this weird point into creepiness is that right vincent gallo yeah was he already passed oh no no uh uh grillo uh leo grillo was his name and then when we ended up with, um, what's his name, uh, Sizemore? Tom Sizemore. Tom
0: Sizemore. That's he was, what I
1: was also thinking. in the movie. So I don't what know happen- why I
0: thought that was Vince Gallimore. something yeah, nah. in my brain, I well, get those two mixed up sometimes. Weirdly, funny. isn't that weird?
1: Yeah, they have yeah, kind of
0: a similar energy to me. Yeah. I don't know why.
1: Um, yeah. So I'm trying to think what it was. Oh yeah, uh, what's his name, Sizemore? He. I, we originally had this guy from. Uh, some tv actor who was really big at the time was going to play this part it was about an abusive boyfriend yeah and we couldn't get him and it fell out because he was going to go direct his own movie my name is earl that guy oh yeah well i forget his name yeah so i had a great meeting with him he was very excited about doing it and then next thing i know he's going off to direct a movie and so i'm really close to shooting and the casting agent Valerie says well what what do you i said okay listen the whole part was based on a tom sizemore type guy Okay. It's so hot. I'm so
0: sorry. Do you want us to open the door and get yeah. some air in Let's here? Let's get some air. I'm so sorry. I know. It's, it's
1: okay. The... It's me t- using up all the hot air. Right?
0: <laughs>
1: <sighs>
0: yeah, I, I have to figure that out. See, it changes the tone of the room, mm-hmm. but that's okay. People will understand. Wait. No, it feels nice out there, though, okay, doesn't it? Okay,
1: good. I didn't want to be the we'll one to leave. say it, because I didn't want to...
0: Well, I felt bad for watching you look like I'm you started you get a little warm.
1: <laughs> I don't want to break stride. No, it's all good. We can cut all this out. <laughs> uh, or you'll probably leave it I in. Think it's I don't know. It doesn't matter. I don't know they, you know what? I, I think what the human are. side of life is all good. <laughs> it, it
0: was getting warm in here, yeah. for sure. They, it's weird. They built this as a walk-in closet. Huh. And uh, big enough. And know. I looked at it and I thought, oh, this would be great for a podcast room. I'll put all my books in here, mm. and so it'll be a podcast room slash library. And I realized in all the other closets in this house, there's air ducts that circulate air, oh, wow. but not in this one. So this huh. must have been an afterthought. It's my Could guess? Be. Maybe
1: they added it later, yeah. Anyway. How weird.
0: Sorry I'm melting in. Uh, no. It's a lot better with the breeze. Telling. So okay. they'll understand. When the the sound shifts a little bit, that's they'll why because we opened it's the, because door. We open
1: the door. Then you have to leave it in, see?
0: Yeah, that's right. So, so then they know.
1: People know. Um anyway, yeah, Tom Sizemore. It was a funny story because we had cast him and I said, Well, he it's based on a guy like Tom Sizemore. And so she said, Well, let's you know, we gotta get this cast, let's call him and sure enough, he ends up in the movie. I said, "Okay, great, whatever." Um, and the the morning comes where he's going to shoot because we started shooting in the desert. And I pulled onto the set, and the AD comes up to me and says, "Did he says, John? I was watching CNN this morning, and Tom Sizemore was arrested <laughs> again." I go, "Oh crap! Are you kidding? He's supposed to be here." And I got, and he goes, "No, I, I don't. I haven't heard. We've been calling the agent. The agent hasn't returned." Pretty soon I go, well, I can't worry about this. So I go off to the set and I'm working. And then next thing you know, I got, Tom Sizemore's here. He made it here. He's great. It's here. Now he's going to come up and talk to you. And I'm like, I'm in the middle of trying to do a scene and it's in the desert and it's very challenging. And I said, okay, great. Send him up. So he comes up and he's and he says, I didn't do it, you know. And I go, what? He says, you no, know, this whole thing that she's accusing me of. And he's going, he starts launching in about him and the, uh, Uh, hooker woman. Uh, What is she? Heidi Fleiss. Sex worker. Yeah, Heidi (laughs) Fleiss. Yeah. And so I'm going, whoa, okay, listen, you know, I I wasn't going to ask you about that. (laughs) Meanwhile, in the back of your mind, you know, you're always curious. But they had a new girl with him, woman, young woman. And great, no problem, going on, he'll go back. So he um, uh, was still using at that time, unfortunately. And I, it was it was a struggle for me as a first time director. I was I, I had to isolate him in scenes and run, long, long, long takes, and because
0: of lines or yeah,
1: he would get one line right. Because he was doing
0: lines and doing something else,
1: and then he would say the next (laughs) time. So I had to make sure Uh, I could get what I needed out mm. of it. So that was a challenge, and it was a good thing to learn. Um, But then uh, when we when he finished the movie, he got clean. And I came down to the courthouse um, to be a witness. Was he clean from from this time to to this time? And it was when we were doing ADR, which is Automatic Dialogue Replacement, which is where you're putting in lines later after the movie's done. And when I saw him doing that, he was totally clear-headed, sober as can be. After that, he got into some trouble with the fake penis. Do you remember this story? Mm -mm. He had a, you know, he was being drug-tested regularly. And so they make these, like, Things that you can use that prostatic look like penis? yeah, prosthetic. <laughs> you pull out and you use with fresh urine, and
0: clean urine. Sure. Yeah,
1: clean urine, and you give it to him, and he denies this. He says, "No, I never had that." Blah 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 blah. So true story. I go to show up to say yes. I'm going to um, swear that he was clean when I was doing ADR during this period of time. He was not using, he seemed very lucid, he was with it, no problem, I'll be a witness on that. I can't say anything about any other time but I could say about that time. So I showed up, I never was called as a witness but we had a lunch break and I go into the, to, the, to go to the bathroom <laughs> during lunch break and he goes, John, 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 look at this, look at this. And I look down, he takes out a prosthetic penis and I'm <laughs> this is weird on a lot of levels but he started laughing he says can you believe this this thing works you know so then I'm like now I'm armed with this <laughs> you know bit of information I don't really want to know and uh, luckily I was never on the stand so yeah it worked out yeah but it was odd it wow. was the day Tom Sizemore showed me his uh, <laughs> his, his uh, fake penis. penis yeah
0: yeah
1: very odd well who
0: doesn't have one of those
1: really? yeah well in one form or another right <laughs> uh, but anyway so that movie uh finished that movie and And it has an interesting distinction amazing stuff happened after that so we finished the movie and Katherine heigl blew up i mean she was huge and um we we had an enormous amount of options uh to go out with it but prior to that what happened was we immediately before she blew up she we had a distributor called region entertainment and region entertainment loved the film was very supportive of it but we hadn't done any domestic deals which means the us yet so this was just foreign and they were also going to be doing domestic and we had we had filmed the movie uh, under something called a low budget sag agreement in which theatrical which means it has your movie has to play in a theater and to to qualify. It can't go straight to video or it can't go straight to TV. It has to go into a movie theater. So they said, oh, we have theaters in Texas. We give us a disc. We'll... So we burned them a disc and they threw it into a theater So in the not afternoon. even on film. It was on a disc. It was it was in a very small theater and they just, it stuck there for some reason. They put it on like at two o'clock in the afternoon. And our uh, um, hair and makeup woman was lived in Texas and she goes oh I'll go see it so she went and bought tickets with her friend and the way theaters work is at the end of the week you do a box office report and so this I guess a minimum wage person sat there and wrote every movie that was playing in the screen and the dollar amount Well, we had 30 bucks because three people it was never advertised and it satisfies our SAG requirement next thing you know i'm up in carmel doing wine (laughs) stuff i get a call from my editor he says oh my god john have you read you know hollywood report i go no what are you talking about he says zizek's road is the lowest grossing movie in u.s box office history and i go what it's never been in a theater yet what what are you talking about i'm like time magazine picked up on it Uh, it went all over then the people got into a fight because Variety didn't credit the online source that broke the story, so there was a whole fight between Variety and this, this online fan site, or whatever it was. And then then finally, there was so much craziness about this weird movie, and I, I'm not not—I'm like, this is a horrible thing, because no one knows the true story. They think, and it's a great headline, right? So- $30. I know, 30 bucks. And so finally, uh, Entertainment Weekly, contacted me and they said, John, we really want to do a story. I said, absolutely come out. I'd be thrilled to finally tell what's, what this, what caused this. And so the guy, he interviewed all these different people and he came out, came to the house, did a long interview with him. He was great. They did this beautiful big article with all these pictures and of course the $30 grossing movie was the headline because that was great. And, um, and then uh, that sort of blew over and um uh then like i say she got really huge and then we had a deal with um a new line cinema that was going to do a big big dvd release but the producer backed out at that point yeah sadly because he didn't like the terms of the deal um and um yeah so i think in 2015 16 i got a call from forbes magazine (laughs) They said, so we want to know what happened to you after directing the lowest budget grossing movie in U.S. history. And I said, well, actually, and I, I, they said, but we need to know what's going on. I go, so I just told them the truth, and they weren't interested in that. They didn't want to tell the story of it. I said, you know, actually, I've been, I did another couple movies after that. I've been writing. I've been producing. But It didn't really, because everyone in the film business understands what that was. But it still comes up. <laughs> and once it popped up, it used to pop up a lot in the LA Times, so much that I got pissed off at the guy who kept saying, hey, this movie did really bad, but not as bad as Issex Road. <laughs> and so I called this guy, I said, you realize that wasn't a real screen? He said, John. I go, yeah. He goes, um, did somebody pay that at the box office? And I said, yes, but you see, so $30 is what came into the box office. I said, yes, but, and they don't like that because it's not fun for the story to know what the truth is. Holy um nice yeah, so it's pretty funny. And and that, and that to this day, um, you know, <laughs> it's just hard to explain, but it's it's not something, I mean, it was really s- scary to go through because I'm like, holy shit, It's like when you see a story go so big, that's not really telling what's the truth is or is what i perceive as the truth I, I just feel like wow this is this is scary it makes you feel really anxious and at that point i had to become very proactive in social media and very proactive with the media doing interviews and i did radio interviews and tv interviews and and uh, you know the entertainment weekly interview just to try to get the real story out there, mm. which was very funny. But don't call me defensive. I
0: mean. <laughs> <laughs> when did you start teaching at the Film Institute?
1: Um, L.A. Film School. After I came back oh, from... LA Film yeah, I came back from um, shooting a movie in Thailand and um, I, you know, the... the uh, what, what do we call this? The, the Great Recession. It really was a depression, but we're calling it the Great Recession. It, it Hollywood was dead. I mean, it was like... No one. The whole area end of the business that I was working in, which is sort of mid budget movies that have action or and a decent cast, there was no market for that because people were making movies for a hundred thousand dollars on their iPhone. And so everything was really quiet. And I started connecting back with Brian Usna, who I did Return of Living Dead and he had produced *Honey, I Shrunk the Kids*. And you met Brian, right? Mm-hmm. Honey, I met. I met the yeah, kid. we. Uh, oh. That was who was starting the Christmas party. Yeah, *Honey, yeah. I Shrunk the Kids* and yeah. um, *Reanimator*, notably um um i saw
0: reanimator and basket case in the same night with my then boyfriend jeff cool. at our at our apartment
1: oh really <laughs> in,
0: yeah in washington state yeah we watched that's that. a good double feature and I think we got really stoned
1: and watched it <laughs> <laughs> and basket- that probably makes it we great. Or basket case being very disturbing yeah but anyway i don't know Bas- if Reanimator case, I has the it.
0: hand with the hand.
1: hand well no that's that's bride of reanimator oh okay which brian directed Reanimator, the first I, one, has saw, the head-giving I kn- head.
0: I, I know the, we saw headless that. Headless cor-
1: corpse. Yeah, yeah, I know we saw that one. But, I yeah. mean, it's a
0: long time ago. Anyway, we yeah, were- I
1: didn't mean to, like, thrust a corpse at you. <laughs> no, you know, you're not the first. <laughs> <That's right.
0: laughs> you won't be the last. <laughs>
1: uh, anyway, I run so, in some
0: weird crowds. <laughs> yeah,
1: I guess. Um, yeah, so Brian and I connected, and we started developing and working on a lot of stuff. And I spent the last few years writing and teeing up a couple projects that I'm going to direct. Weirdly enough, um, and and during this time I started teaching as an adjunct professor at the L.A. Film School in writing and directing. Um, During um, this time, of course, I'm, I'm developing a lot of projects and I have a couple things that I want to direct next. And I kind of did this thing in my head where I said, you know, I'm kind of a little bit burnt out on writing scripts for other people. And now that I'm directing I want to do it where the things that I'm um, writing are the things I want to direct Mm -hmm. and if somebody wants to hire me I'll write for them of course and I'll do an amazing job because I own everything I always find something that I can hold on to and that connects with me anytime I'm going to write something but uh, things were so quiet uh, that I just produced a lot of spec stuff and um, among them weirdly enough coming full circle were two novels, right? The, the the medium I thought I would never want to do. And what I did was, one of them's called Truck Stop and the other one is called Killing Time. Truck Stop was the first one. And of course, the idea here is that I have a script ready to go for both of these. So it was about creating, a you know, a, a more of a presence for these ideas. And so I said, okay, I'm going to, my friend uh, Steve Carpenter at the time, had been doing this thing on Amazon, and his movie, his movie, his book got got him a quarter of a million dollars. I mean, it was huge. Any
0: relation to John? Carp-
1: no, oh, not okay. Steve Carpenter. I known him for years. He ended up uh, writing the, creating the show Grimm on NBC mm-hmm. later. Sure. Anyway, so Steve says, John, you got to do this, man. You go in there, you 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 write your novels, you put them up in the ebook, and people freaking. And I did it, and I I wrote my first novel with that plan in mind. I put it up, and it. There was a thing you can do where you give it away for free and it shoots up if it's popular, and then you shut off the freeze and you drift down with the buys. Oh. I don't know if that makes sense. Sure, it does. But um, so, so I said, Well, what do you do? And you put in all these keywords. And he says, Yeah, it, my work is a lot, and I don't want to compare myself to him, but you could say it's in the wheelhouse of like a Stephen King. Mm-hmm. So one of the keywords I put was Stephen King. Mm -hmm. and of course my book just shot (laughs) up, and it did in crazy well I mean it just was this truck stop did really really well and this was
0: on Amazon yeah Yeah. on
1: Amazon ebooks yeah it was a crazy it was Mm -hmm. a period of time when they were starving they were selling tons of ebooks and people were starving for stuff and my book went all over the place I had like I think it was 15,000 downloads Mm -hmm. Um, and it was like enormous, and it went on to do 16, 17, 18,000 downloads, which was, which was big for them. Um, and um, so I, I said, this novel writing is pretty cool, I like it. And I had such a great time because I could go places that I can't go with a, with a screenplay. And um, I just really like doing it. So I said, okay, here's another idea. They also have a script for I'm going to write the novel here. And so that was Killing Time. And that one did about half as well as Truck Stop because that whole market started clamping down. It was a free-for-all for a while there. and uh, But the b- books did really well. Um, if you go on Amazon, you'll find them in the e-book section. Um, and... Um, The first one, Truck Stop, got really good reviews from readers, which was really special. And then there's a company called Encyclopocalypse Publishing. That's a mouthful. I know. uh, It's a guy, Mark, who used to work for uh, Clive Barker, started this Audible company. And I just sort of recently finished the Audible book of Truck Stop.
0: That you yourself did.
1: I read it myself, ah, so I was given a choice. A lot of work, isn't it? I, oh my god, yeah. it was it was so much work. I was given a choice of me doing it or they'll bring in an actor to do it. And I said, I'm just gonna try it. And they conned me into it, much like this podcast. No, no, if it doesn't go well, we'll just stop. Don't worry about it. So he says, Well, if it doesn't go well, we'll just stop. Don't <laughs> worry about it. And not that you said that. I'm just no, I
0: would never. No, of course, <laughs> I make um, you suffer through yeah, it, good or bad.
1: So yeah, so he. Um, he said, well, let's just try it with you reading this. And I was very nervous, but then I felt, well, why not? Much like the directing thing, I can screw it up as good as the next guy. So I got in there and it ended up, he was really supportive and encouraged me. And I, I got the whole thing done. And so it's really fun to have an Audible out.
0: Are you going to make a movie out of it?
1: Um, that one is one of them. Yeah, It's right now in Asia. It's, it has a different title, oddly enough, for the content, for the location where it's being filmed and the second movie as well we've got interest on both of them i just got a text from this packaging agent um who's doing the second book killing time um and um, yeah so who knew that novels would be uh, an important thing to add to the journey at this point which i vowed i would never do i hated seeing all these writers silently sipping wine all day and writing (laughs) <laughs> it's like, now, what do I do? Yeah, well. <laughs> you I mean, can run, but you can't hide. That's right. right.
0: That's the path. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Uh, what did you, this is probably a question you get asked all the time, especially by your students. Uh, all-time favorite top three horror film?
1: Uh, Jaws, certainly, is a, is a monster movie. Definitely uh, Exorcist, of course. Um, and then, I know that everyone says this, but you have to look at what, connects with you there was a movie called the shuttered room Mm, based on an h.p lovecraft story and um it i was a little kid and it scared the shit out of me and it was about weirdly enough about a family member who was this warp disturbed sister who was chained in the attic who creeps down and kills people so i you know Nothing is more afraid, makes me more fearful than family. I mean, that <laughs> that's in my DNA. And then when you combine it with it, so it really had this huge impression on me, this this creepy movie. Uh, so that has got to be up there in terms of one of them. But it's a, it's a bit obscure. I did run into some film uh, horror filmmakers who said, oh, yeah, Shuttered Room, and the, he brought a disc over and we watched it at home. Uh, I'm going, oh, did it God. still scare you? No, but that's but okay. But it's, yeah, it's childhood memory. Uh, so that would that would definitely be in that mix somehow. And um, I love, you know, I, I think um, Nightmare on Elm Street is certainly up there. Um, I love inventive uh, horror, and I like blending genres a little bit too, mm-hmm. which is a lot of what I've done. Um, you know,
0: did you see uh, the movie The Cabin? Was the Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Did you enjoy that? It and was it, it,
1: so thorough. now I'm getting. I think I was a little too old for that movie because mm-hmm. I said, "Oh no, we did this movie." The Dormant Drip Blood, we made this movie in the 80s. What was it called? (laughs) The Dormant Drip drip Blood, the first movie I was an editor on. Oh, that one, okay. That
0: was the same idea.
1: Well, it's body count movie. Yeah, of yeah, course. You, yeah, yeah. People, this one had the, the, but the, the sickness. Uh, maybe yeah, yeah. I'm
0: confusing the titles. What is the movie that is an homage? Oh, no,
1: no, that's Cabin in the Woods. You're right. I No, no, it's not Cabin in the Woods.
0: Which is the one that's the homage movie that yeah, is, yeah, has yeah, all yeah. the different You're tropes. Right.
1: No, that one I did like. Yeah. What now you got that? me what confused. What is it called? I thought it was, ca- was Cabin? Last, last Cabin on the Left? No. Something. Uh, well, I'm trying to think is of is the one. Cabin, cabin Fever up. was the one I was thinking of. I'm sorry. And Cabin Fever. Had it right. Uh, so I it's had the it cabin wrong. in the woods. or the... Cabin in the woods is the homage. Yes. I was thinking of Cabin Fever oh, okay. by uh, what's his name. The, Good old what's his name. Yeah, the yeah. director. Um, okay. So no, cabin I got it right. West yeah, yeah.
0: Homage. Yeah, yeah, and I liked it very yeah, much. It was, it was a lot of fun. I thought it yeah. was fun. Did Josh Wheaton do that
1: one? I, can't I think so. Yeah. I love him. Um, the last movie I produced is a movie that's out now. You can rent it anywhere that movies are are rentable to stream or buy. Called Reborn. It's a movie I produced. Um, And uh, that one is also sort of an homage to 80s horror movies. It's kind of like um, uh, Carrie Meets Firestarter, about a young 16-year-old girl who has the ability to manipulate electricity. Mm. And she's going on a, a mission to find her mother who left her for a stillborn when she was born. Yeah. So, yeah. Once again, I'm working through...
0: Child, yeah, Family stuff. <laughs> if a student came up to you, or let's say somebody reaches out to you and says, Mr. Penny, mm. I'm going to be in town. Let's go have lunch, the way uh, Ray Bradbury did for you. Of course. What would be your advice? I would say
1: definitely. I mean, I get that a lot. Because um, you
0: teach, of course. You probably get it all uh, yeah, the time. The but students, I mean, you know, yeah, the people... students.
1: But I usually do that in a classroom setting. Mm. It's interesting. Um, I... I uh, you know, I, I, I'm happy to, i happy to—people that are enthusiastic about what I do, I'm always enthusiastic to meet. Um, you know, I, it, there are times when it gets—I don't mean to complain. This is a terrible thing to say, but a lot of times I'll go to events where I'm the one that everyone wants something from. <laughs> and then I realize, this is this fun? I want to go to a place where— they can make my dreams come true. <laughs> you, you know what <laughs> yeah, I, mean? I do know what you mean? And it gets kind of a little awkward. Like yeah. if somebody was interested in writing music, they're coming to you. So do you think you can show this to so-and-so? Do you think you can take this to Nashville? Do you think you can that as you understand, yes. so you're nodding, you, you
0: I do you, understand yeah. exactly what you're so saying?
1: So I feel a little like that happens a lot. And and it's hard for me to um if somebody wrote the right kind of letter to me and said, I would love to what would you know, be the advice? The advice would be, I can tell you what I did. And when I, what I did uh, when I was coming up, they were selling and buying spec scripts. And the way, and movies were really expensive to make. <laughs> you know, millions, literally millions. Um, and so if you want a career in this thing, the first thing you do is do your, your, your gut check, which is ask yourself, what was the last movie you paid 12 bucks to see? Right. So if one person says, oh, are you kidding? It was the Star Wars movie. I go, OK, well, your passion happens to intersect very nicely with what is the marketplace. Somebody says to me, you know, the last movie was a, 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 an art house made by a guy. He's, you would never have heard of him, but he works in New York. And then I said, wonderful. That's what you should pursue, because that's what you're aspiring to do. But just keep in mind the marketplace may not be able mm. to find you in doing it that way. So there's that is and, and then people try to backpedal. Oh no no no, but I'm I'm gonna just write this I know I'm gonna write this horror movie because I can, I know I can sell it and I know it's gonna be really good and it's gonna be too easy. Sorry, I don't wanna get no. over and then I say, but you know how fast you'll be found out because there are people like me that really love genre movies and science fiction and fantasy and I know when somebody's phoning it in because I work really hard trying to make it work. And to make it work, it takes a lot of effort and commitment. And somebody who's really inspired by something else, who's just going to do this to get into the industry, I would say, don't waste your time. Don't ruin your life. The best thing that could happen is you get stuck in doing something you don't want to do. And the worst thing is that you are are you you don't succeed at what you're selling out to do and you didn't pursue what you really wanted to pursue. Mm. So I think that's really important, number one. And number two, I would tell them what I did, but I would say now, you know, how do you work creatively? For me, it was always the word. It was always writing, just family trade, whatever it was. But it could be that you pick up a camera and you use your camera to start. And the next thing you know, you plug in a... You know, a, a, a card, a chip, and you're shooting a movie. Make a feature, make a move, make a short. I don't know. There's so many options now um, that I think that it's not, you'd have to be very similar to me, in which my home base, my primary source of creativity is the written word. That's always where I'm comfortable and safe and happy, is I can always go back. Things aren't going great on the directing front, I go back to my you know, safe place, and I write, which always wasn't a safe place, by the way. It was, I don't know if you've been through this or not as a, as a, a, a creative person, but there's a moment when you, um, at least in my case, I said, this is what I'm really going to do. I'm going to be a writer, and I'm going to write scripts, and I'm going to keep, uh, this is, I have no backup plan, <laughs> and I didn't, and I'm just going to do this, and every money I make, doing Mm -hmm. assistant directing on a music video, and I did a whole bunch of them uh, when I wasn't working. Um, You know, a lot lot of big names, Jefferson Starship, I think it was called, yeah, Jefferson Starship at that time, or they went back to Airplane, I think. And, um, you know, Lily of the Canyon, what's her name? Uh, Boy, I'm terrible with names today. (laughs) Ah, anyway... um, so I did a bunch of videos, but everything I did, I took that money and I said, well, this will give me longer. I can keep writing my scripts. That's all I knew it was for. Mm-hmm. And I was so singularly focused that, that it, there was no other choice for me. And, that um, is the,
0: the, the poison of the creative once it's in your bloodstream.
1: Yeah. You know, you, you There's no
0: antidote.
1: And so I, I, that's why I come full circle and I say, okay, Mom, I get it. Hmm. Although I, she's not really my mom. She made that clear. But <laughs> my biological mother, I say, I can see where that drive comes from because I've lived it. Um, but i um, it's hard because the first step that you just make that big decision, Ray Bradbury's words come back in my head. My parents' words come back in my head. Ray saying, if you don't write every day, you're not a writer. Literally, that's what he advised me. So he says, John, it doesn't matter. Whatever you do, just write something that day. If you don't, don't call yourself a writer. So I got that burden. I've got a burden of all these things growing up from a divorced family where my father is telling me, don't be a writer because they're crazy fucked up people who are drunk all the time and, and have no sort of boundaries. And that was a tough one because I realized the hardest thing for me, I had to turn inward um, and, and try to f- solve some of this. Um, it was almost like I was holding myself back. And one of the things I had to do was go talk to my, my father. Luckily, he was alive. And I said, listen, I'm, I'm really struggling here. I had just sold a script to Warner Brothers. And I was struggling with this, you know, this weird shit was coming up in my head. And I didn't know what the fuck was this about. This is what I've dreamed about doing. I got this thing. If I don't do anything else, I'm thrilled. Um, and, uh, he, um, I said, listen, you always said, don't that writing business with you, this, this, this. And he said, John, whatever you do, don't ever stop writing, you know? And he sort of, at that moment, let me out of jail. And he says, no, no, it was something he had said in the anger of, of this divorce. Right. And he painted writers with a broad brush, but it took me having to actually Ask him that question to let myself out of jail, and once I did, I was able to to take off. It was really powerful what happens with these little messages you get as children. But it was a it was a it was a it was a big moment, um, and and I realized it wasn't about connecting outside; it was about connecting inside. You know, I don't look I don't look outside to find some sort of emotional truth. I look inside. And when you do that, you look at yourself in a way that that's, that's, can be very troubling sometimes. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if you're feeling what yeah, I'm saying I, I, or not. But. Yeah, 100%.
0: And I, no one gets to write your story but you, but mm-hmm. many people will try. Mm-hmm. They pick mm-hmm. up the pen constantly and tell you what you should or shouldn't be doing with your yeah. own life, your soul, your mind, your heart. Yeah. Yeah. And most of the time, unfortunately, we believe them. Right, because we think they're either maybe they're in a position of power, or we love them, or we hate them, or mm-hmm. whatever it is, um, and so yeah, I totally yeah. get what you're saying. Yeah, it yeah. was it was a big it was Powerful. a big moment.
1: Yeah, it was, and then you get validated occasionally, oh, never from my mother, of course, but but uh, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. I have a script in their permanent collection now, which was very cool. Which one? Um, Return of the Living Dead. Oh okay, yeah, I figured was part that was of the a, one. Yeah, yeah, it was a part of a. So you get a letter. I saved the letter. It says, "Hey, this is of historic significance." I go, "Whoa, see, it's historic significance! Incredible! It's awesome." So I, I, I cheated. I took my original draft and I took the uh, production draft, and I made a third draft that read so sweet it was like polished, <laughs> and it had everything from the production draft in it. So. Whatever.
0: Very cool. They
1: probably wanted the other raw version. But, um, yeah, no, that was fun. That was, but, you know, the last time I, you know, this is the old thing about, hey, Mom, look what I'm doing. No one, they don't care. The One of the last movies when she was alive that she saw was this movie from uh, Hungary, which we shot in the winter. And it's a gorgeous-looking movie. It's a beautiful movie. It's, the cinematography is absolutely stunning. And uh, the, all she said was, you know, of all the movies you've done, this one looks beautiful. Oh, that shit. was all I got.
0: <laughs> Lovely bl- backhanded compliment. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That only was, a mother was, could yeah, <laughs> right.
1: So, you know, I chuckle now. I don't, like, my wife doesn't read anything I write, doesn't see my movies. Is is, And I don't blame her for that. It's just a different, she's not sort of, you know, into that world. And I've, you know, mm-hmm. she came about it by her own Experience. I dragged her to Cannes one year where where Return 3 was playing, and she didn't want to watch it, and it was a horrible experience Uh, for her. She's
0: not into horror films. No. One of my friends, Chad Kinkle, who's delightful and wonderful, and he and his wife, Amy, uh, they live in Nashville. Chad is an incredible writer. In fact, on the shelf right here is one of his stories.
1: Oh, wow, look at that.
0: Yeah, I have it in its plastic. Shout out to Chad Kinkle, the Hart brothers. They were... Consider one of the first serial killers in the nation. They were actually wow. cousins. So he did this graphic novel about it, but he did a, a movie uh, called Jug Face. Huh. Did you know that one? No, I know no. I know. And uh And he won the Grand Slam at some.
1: Slam dance? Yeah. Is that what it's called? I don't it's,
0: know. It's a, no, it's, it's Grand Slam Film Festival thing. And he won the grand prize overall and in horror. And he did. And it was really great. His wife does not like horror movies. Yeah. So yeah. when I was in Nashville, he was my horror movie buddy. That's we would so go funny. watch horror movies because <laughs> she didn't want to go see anything. Mm. And that was
1: great. Well, you know, um, it is what it is. But the um, for me, it's been a great ride. I have no complaints. I know that I'm in a place in my career now where... I'm not the new young kid coming up anymore, so which is wonderful on one hand. And on the other hand, it's kind of like, wow, I could have done that. But you start seeing things so differently.
0: It must be me watching <laughs> the kids coming up. And-
1: yeah, I really love that. I really do. And especially when you find the one or two or three that actually, they say, wow, they get it. And I, it's the most fun. Because the thing I'm doing at the film school is I'm teaching thesis film writing and development. So I'm, I'm developing their thesis scripts with them. And we workshop them with actors like Chris and- um, Our
0: mutual friend, yeah. Yeah.
1: And uh, uh, I just have a lot of fun doing it. I really, really, and they and they treat me so well at that school. They're just the nicest, I mean, Charlie who runs a school is the best and has, has you know, I was hired there before he was the head of the school by the previous guy. and. Basically, they just, I walked in and they said, they looked at my credits and said, can you start? I said, okay. <laughs> Wonderful. I know. Wonderful. But now it's become a, a different kind of place. It's, it's part of um, Full sale out of Florida. Uh, oh, really? In Florida, yeah. Oh, interesting. So now it's uh, a real school. And we yeah. have bachelor's and AA's. Um, associate arts degrees there now. Sure. But I'm dealing with just the bachelors at this point, which is a small group and they're, they've made it pretty much through the program and now we're doing their thesis with them, which I really love. It's
0: exciting. Yeah. That means yeah. that you are a part, your fingerprint is on all the things that come. They say, come.
1: God help them. <laughs> if, it, if it's like we're a Bradbury, I'll just say, you know, I'm glad I could give you some bad advice. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, I always, I always love it. and but, but the thing its fun is I don't even look at them as students. I just connect on the story level. Mm. It's just like suddenly I'm in a writer's room. Okay, but what's going on with this script? Oh, yeah, I see what's happening. Well, you know what? Why don't you try this? Or why don't you try that? I have a a mind that works like a puzzle fixer when it comes to stories. I don't know how else to say it. It's like I see them all. I see the whole story in my head and I can, I can see visually when I mean, I picture everything as I'm reading it. So I keep that in my mind and I, I I, can see where things, how I'm feeling as well. I keep checking and I monitor, am I bored? Am I still engaged? Am I... You know, and if I start losing interest, I can start seeing the choices that were made that may have brought it that way.
0: Are your students uh, specific to uh, the horror genre or all across, no, the, board? All across oh,
1: the board? No, they're all across the board, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. But
0: absolutely. the ones that are That's horror exciting. fans are
1: thrilled to have me, <laughs> I, I which bet. is great. I bet. <laughs> yeah, I really love I love doing that. How can people find you? Uh, so I'm, your
0: IMDb, obviously. You
1: yeah, you can do M-Penny that. With you an can, yeah, you can do uh, Instagram. Instagram, John Penny Filmmaker.
0: And Penny is N N E Y. E Y.
1: Yeah. Instagram for sure. I'm I'm into Facebook still. So yeah. definitely Facebook. And okay. I, I
0: and I'll put links on Hey Human podcast.
1: What? Oh, that would be great because sure. um, you know that's sort of the old school way. Yeah. But I really I find people that um, you know if I, I I a lot of students will now do that and I keep things in my Facebook are things that are stuff that we're up to that people find interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have it all inverted. It's supposed to be Instagram that does that and Facebook that does That's okay.
0: And <laughs> yeah. they can find you through the school too, I suppose. Los Angeles
1: Film School, of course. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, a, it's a fun school. We have a great time there. Um, and They throw a wonderful Christmas great party. Great Christmas Holy party. Moly. They really do appreciate their employees. They I treat mean, us really that well. that was
0: outstanding. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was really great. Yeah. And they just had... Uh, yesterday... They just had all the um, Oscar-nominated screenwriters. I got
0: invited to there, but I was already committed to a, yeah. a very cool improv puppet show at go. the Henson. Oh, that was that sounds even so better. neat, yeah. But um, you could have
1: just—they could have been the same show. You just
0: I know right? <laughs>
1: Puppets. Puppets no, the puppet Oscar screenwriters. Be... No, but that was at the LA Film School. Yeah, they put that together. Uh, yeah. I would have
0: loved to. I, I yeah, so the students.
1: I let that. my students go a little early so they could get That's in line. That's
0: so wonderful. <laughs> yeah. What a... Oh, this town. Sorry, but uh, yeah. Sorry, not sorry. This town is the bomb. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Oh, so you works. do.
1: I thought you were gonna prepare me for like I hate it here. It's so oh. shallow. It's it's Nashville with a tan.
0: No, 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 no. I I have not found it to be shallow at all. Uh, in fact, the opposite. I think it's a deep town. Uh, it's creative and fascinating, and I have met so many tribe here, yourself included, where. I just I look at a person that I'm meeting for the first time and I say there you are Mm. and it's wonderful I really love it you make
1: me talk about things that I normally don't talk about with everyone (laughs) so there's a comfortability factor definitely
0: yeah I've been told that you're not it's scary how you get people to talk
1: (laughs) you're very good at it yay
0: I'm so glad you're very good at it John Penny thank you for being on Hey Human thank you for bringing your delicious wine
1: cheers cheers That's the glasses going together. Beautiful. Um, But thank you for having me. I really appreciate
0: it. Yeah, absolutely. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you so much and take care. Bye.